Well, hello, everybody. Uh, for those of you uh, that have never met me, my name is Prentice, and I am the lead pastor for uh, Bethany West Seattle. Uh, before I begin, I just want to say thank you, Lisa and Pastor Nathan, for sharing uh, your experience uh, with Rwanda. Uh, a few years ago, I also had an opportunity uh, to go again with Pastor Nathan and others. And, uh, and I tell you, uh, Moses, if you're watching right now, I love you. Uh, we miss you uh, and we're praying for you. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, it was a part of my life that I'll never forget and it will forever be a part uh, of my ministry. Uh, and so for those of you watching, uh, would you consider praying for Rwanda? Would you consider giving? Would you consider even attending uh, when one day we can go again? And so uh, we miss you and we can't wait to see you again. Uh, so when I was preparing uh, for this message, I needed a little pep talk. Uh, and so uh, who does anybody call for a pep talk? You call Eric Henderson. Uh, and so uh, I texted him and I said, uh, Eric, I'm kind of nervous about this sermon because uh, I think it's going to upset a few people. Uh, and I'll never forget his response because he texted back and said, well, welcome to preaching in 2020. And so with that said, uh, I just want you to know this. My, my aim is not to make you angry in this sermon, but my aim is to invite you to pay attention to your discomfort. Uh, and so to that end, let's pray. Uh, let's get started. God, thank you for what you have to say to each and every one of us, including and most, mostly myself. We thank you for the words you have to say. Teach us this morning and may we listen. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. A couple weeks ago, uh, like many of you uh, might have been or still are, uh, I was on Facebook. Uh, and I was just scrolling through the, the posts. And there's a lot of posts these days. Uh, and there was uh, a friend of mine who posted uh, the status uh, adamantly saying that he would never wear a mask in public. Now, I know even the issue of masks have been divisive. So uh, I don't want us to go there. Okay, that's not the point of this. Uh, my point is this. He was very, very adamant about saying, I will not wear a mask. I don't need to. Uh, it's my right, etc., etc. Uh, and curiosity killed the cat a little bit. And so I go over there uh, into the status and I read all 70 plus comments. Uh, as you can imagine, half of them were uh, saying, no, that's not right. You need to, to wear one. It's, it's, it's for you and for others. Uh, and the other half, <coughs> excuse me, saying, uh, you know, good job. Way to, way to be brave. Way to be strong. You, you're doing the right thing. And, and so I, I see this division. Uh, and, and a few days later, uh, this post popped back up again, uh, and he finally responded. And I will never forget, I can't believe what I saw. He, he, I even had to show my wife, like, look what he said. And he said this, I listened and I changed my mind. I listened and I changed my mind. Now, when in the history of all of Facebook has anybody changed their mind based on Facebook comments going back and forth? Out of millions and millions of comments, that has happened a total of four times. Just kidding. I don't know that. Probably less. 
Uh, but what I realized about, you know, looking at all of this, uh, I noticed uh, three things. First, that when we decide to listen, we were often or always faced with a decision. Now, at the most fundamental level, when you listen, you have to decide how you're going to respond, what you're going to respond with. Even if you decide not to respond, that is a choice that you made. So, so I realize whenever we listen, we have to make a decision. We have to choose on something. The second observation is whatever we choose often comes with a price. For my friend, the price he paid was uh, letting down his friends. It was letting down and swallowing his pride in his ego. It, it was, uh, to his own words, giving up his civil liberties. It, oftentimes when we listen, we have to make a choice. And when we are faced with those choices, those choices often are costly. And, and so then thirdly, no wonder we decide not to listen at all. It's easier not to listen. It's easier to, to cover our ears and just like a little child say, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. But know this. The good thing and the bad thing is that listening will always be the starting place for reconciliation. I need us to, to, to really hear that again. If, if there's nothing else you hear today, I need you to hear this, that listening, 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 listening will always be the starting point of reconciliation. <clears throat> Do you want to see broken relationships flourish? Do you want to see healing where there is pain? Do you want to see mending where there is tears? Do you want to see healing when there's brokenness in your relationships? We must start with listening. This is a basic principle that applies to any conflict, right? With your spouse, with your neighbor, with your friend, with your coworker, with the family member, uh, with someone that you may not even know. Whenever there's conflict, uh, if you want to reach reconciliation, it always starts with listening. And so today, I want to say this. This is particularly true in a world where racism has plagued our communities particularly through the injustice, the marginalization, the violence towards our black and brown community, our brothers and sisters. And the question remains, when we hear of their hurt and pain and experiences, will we listen to our black community? The lasting effects from being enslaved for over 250 years, followed by Jim Crow laws, redlining, which really is about uh, wealth, generational wealth, mass incarceration, policing, microaggressions, implicit biases. Will we listen? And although racially based uh, violence has been happening uh, for centuries, the recent stories of Maude Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, Elijah McClain, Trayvon Martin, Botha Jean, Philandro Castro, Alton Sterling, Eric Garner, Tamir Rice, Atiana Jefferson, the list can go on. And the question remains, will we listen? There have been protests in over 50 states, in more than 700 cities, in more than 17 different countries. Historians would all agree and say, this is the biggest civil rights movement since Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Will we listen? Uh, 
The story of Stephen teaches us to listen by asking three questions. And the questions are these. When we look at the story of Stephen, we must ask ourselves, who are we? Who is God? And where do we go from here? Who are we? Who is God? And where do we go from here? Now, as Eric read our passage today, Stephen is one of the deacons. <clears throat> and as, again, Pastor Nathan shared so nicely last week, and I don't have time to go over what has happened before this, but, but Stephen is one of the deacons who is in charge of taking care uh, of the Hellenistic widows who have been neglected. Uh, these Hellenistic widows are the most vulnerable of the time, uh, and Stephen and, and others step up uh, to come to their aid and to provide. And then the Bible talks about Stephen, uh, as uh, Pastor Chris talked about, full of power and grace and faith and the Holy Spirit. And guess what? This made Stephen very popular amongst the people, uh, but very uh, unpopular and made Stephen an enemy with the Jewish leaders of the day. In chapter 6, verse 9, says, Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria from the province of Cilicia in Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But I love this part. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit as Stephen spoke. These were the intellects of the day. These were the elites. These were the people, the religious people, the leaders, the people that people listened to with authority. And Stephen argued and debated with them, talked to them and told them about the gospel of Jesus. And they had nothing to say. They had no match for the intellect of Stephen. And so they did the next best thing was to, if they can't beat him, then lie. <clears throat> they lied to, to, to others. They had other people accused amongst the synagogue, accused Stephen of three things, of blaspheming against Moses, which really is an indictment on the law, their tradition. Uh, two, the uh, blaspheming against the temple, the place where religious ceremonies and all these uh, religious activities happen. So it was against uh, Moses, the law. It was against the temple. And really about speaking about Jesus as being the Savior, the Messiah. And, and these are all things that the Jews took very seriously. Uh, and so the Jewish leaders from the synagogue took Stephen uh, to the, the Sanhedrin, uh, equivalent to the, the, the court, the, the Supreme Court. Uh, and they asked him if this was true. Now, spoiler alert, uh, Stephen the martyr, Stephen died. He was stoned to death. By rocks. He was stoned to death by rocks. Uh, bad joke. Okay. And I look at this story, and when the Jewish leaders, they asked, is this true? Uh, I would have, if I was Stephen, I would have said everything to get out of it. I would have said, no, I would have defended myself. These are lies. No, this isn't true. They're accusing me. And yet, what Stephen does is interesting. He gives the leaders, the court, a history lesson, a history lesson. He could have said anything. He, 
to defend himself, and yet he gives him the history starting from Abraham. This is all of chapter 7. I won't go through that right now, but if you have an opportunity, read that. It was Stephen retelling uh, the Israel story from the Old Testament, starting from Abraham. Uh, then to Joseph, how people were jealous, how they didn't respond to Joseph, all the way to Moses, how people were disobedient to God's word through Moses, to them, to creating idols. Uh, in the bottom line, if you read this at a most basic level, it's okay, it was a history lesson, but it was very intentional. Stephen was brilliant. No wonder he, they said he was so smart. He did this history lesson to point out one thing. And the one thing is this, that just like their ancestors, the, the religious people of the day, they did not listen. They didn't listen. They were disobedient. And they, throughout history, is pointing out, always and always rejected the spirit, is what the Bible says. They did not listen. And so I want to get to the first question right now is, who are we? When we read this story, <coughs> excuse me, we have to ask ourselves who we are in this story. And unfortunately, I want us to get a little uncomfortable right now. And I want to say this, unfortunately, in the Western attitude, the very attitude that I have oftentimes seems to always place ourselves as the hero. Right? When we look at the story, I want to be Stephen. I am Stephen. I've been persecuted. I've been this. I've been that because I love Jesus. Right? We read the story and we place ourselves, not just in the story of Stephen, but all over the scriptures, and we place ourselves as the hero of the story. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news. This is bad news for me too. Is that we aren't Stephen. In fact, we are the very people that Stephen is talking about. And he says this, he says, you stiff-necked people, <coughs> your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised, which is a metaphorical of just impure and just uh, not set apart for God. And then he says, you are just like your ancestors, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him, Jesus. And then in verse 57, after uh, Stephen is making all these claims, the religious leaders do this. It says in verse 57, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices before they killed Stephen. We have to properly identify who we are in this story in order for us to properly listen if we want to reach reconciliation and to properly and wholeheartedly listen to those that have been oppressed and marginalized. And listening cannot happen until we look within ourselves first. It can't happen when we're not willing to see ourselves as possibly being wrong. It can't happen if we don't take responsibility of our own behavior. That includes silence. 
It can't happen when we refuse to believe somebody's experience as true simply because we have never experienced it ourselves. Listening can't, be, can't happen if we constantly defend ourselves, feel the need to defend ourselves, uh, if we want to continuously prove our point. Listening can't happen if we always want the last word. Listening can't happen if we always have to be right. Listening can't happen if we always know what's best. Listening can't happen until we know who we are in the story and, I, and we're not the heroes. We're the people that have covered our ears and we must confess and name that in order to listen. One writer, Erna Kim Hackett, says this, and this is another attempt to make you uncomfortable. And when I read this, it made me uncomfortable too. So if you have any... If you're upset or if you need to, you know, send me the Monday morning emails. If you can't stop yourself from, from wanting to send me that email, you're all welcome to send me that email. My email address is erickhenderson at bethanychurch.com. So go ahead and, and write me those emails. But she says this, white Christianity suffers from a bad case of Disney princess theology. As each individual reads scripture, they see themselves as the princess in every story. They're Esther, never Xerxes or Haman. They're Peter, but never Judas. They're the women anointing Jesus, never the Pharisees. They're the Jews escaping slavery, never Egypt. For the citizens of the most powerful country in the world who enslaved both native and black people to see itself as Israel and not Egypt when it is studying scripture is a perfect example of Disney princess theology. And it means that as people in power, they have no lens for locating themselves rightly in scripture or society and has made them blind and utterly ill-equipped to engage issues of power and injustice. We have to appropriately and correctly identify our place in Scripture until we confess and repent of not listening, of our own ego, of our own pride, of our own defensiveness, uh, of our uh, own unwilling to confess the ways that we may have gotten it wrong, listening cannot happen. And without listening, there can be no reconciliation. So the first question is, who am I in this story? And the second question is, we have to look at is, who is God? Who is, who's God? And more accurately, who is our God in this story, in the story of our lives? <clears throat> Part of Stephen's sermon was to remind the religious people that, hey, remember your ancestors? Uh, remember when Moses went into the wilderness and, and God gave Moses instructions in order for Moses to pass it along to the Israelites? And, and when Moses decided to do that, what did the Israelites do? Instead of listening, uh, Stephen reminds them, is that they built idols for themselves. They built a golden calf to worship. 
And I love what, uh, you know, how Stephen says is, said it. It said, that was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it. And get this, they reveled in what their own hands have made. They reveled at what their own hands have made, the idol worship of the calf. See, for them, going back to Egypt, the status quo was better than what God wanted for them. The land filled with milk and honey, the promised land, yes, the journey is difficult. Yes, it required listening. Yes, it required changing of behavior. Yes, it required uh, trusting. But yet for the Israelites, it was better to give that up, not go through that, go back and participate in the status quo in Egypt and worship a golden calf. God is speaking right now. This new series is called The New Shape of Church. I really believe starting today, even starting from years ago, when we talk about racism and systemic racism and violence and oppression, uh, nothing can ever be the same. What you've seen on the news, what, you know, the division that we see, whether you like it or not, starting right now in your life, in my life, I hope that nothing can ever be the same. Something has got to change. We have to identify what we've made idols that forces us to plug our ears and say, I can't hear you. I can't hear you when there's people suffering, when there's people experiencing racism and marginalization and violence as a whole, as a community by the system that's not broken, but was created to do exactly what's happening today. And for us to say, I can't hear you is no longer acceptable. What have we made idols? Is it our wealth? Is that what's keeping us from listening? Because we would just want to hold on to our wealth. Is it our upward mobility? Is it our comfort? Is it our status at a workplace or, or in society? Is it because of our particular politics that we can't open up our ears? Is it the things that were taught as a, as a child in our family, in our family systems, and I'm not saying disrespect that, but I'm saying maybe it's time to question that. Is it our theology in the same vein where we uh, ha have developed? I would even say that I've done this, developed some bad theology, and it's time to reconstruct what that looks like. Because sometimes theology has gotten in the way of our obedience. Is it our privileges? And I know this is a sensitive subject when I say the word privilege, but let me just say this also. Most of us watching, sitting here, myself, we all possess uh, some elements of privilege. And that doesn't mean you didn't work hard. It doesn't mean you didn't struggle in your life. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means that there were certain things in our lives that were placed, that are oftentimes given to us that has never been the actual hindrance to that struggle. Yes, I've had struggle. Yes, you've had struggle. Yes, we've all had struggle. But there's a few things in our lives that has never been the reason for that struggle. That's all that means. And we all have these privileges. And are we willing to let go of these privileges in order to hear and to listen and to receive particularly what our black brothers and sisters are saying right now? In our society, whiteness is a privilege. And by the way, before you get really upset and check out, let me just say this. When I talk about whiteness, I don't mean white people. Okay? 
what we're speaking out against is whiteness, a technology that was designed to create a division by setting up a hierarchy in racial structure with the whitest color being the best superior and the darker being less. And, and that is a myth. And that is what we are dismantling. And that as Christians is what we must be against. It's not white people. It's white, whiteness, the technology that was invented by people, not by God. Most of us, we have privilege. I may not be white, <clears throat> but I'm a male. I'm educated. I own a home. I have a steady income. I'm straight. I'm a Christian. I have my own privileges to navigate. We all do. And the question isn't, should I feel guilty? Should I just uh, pretend I didn't do all of this? Should I, you know, burn my degree? Should I, you know, give up my house? And, and the answer is no. Those are the wrong questions to be asking. The better question to be asking is what am I doing with my privileges? Am I being a good steward of my privileges? Or am I hoarding the privileges for my own benefit? Or am I allowing others to benefit the privileges that I have? And oftentimes this can seem costly because for those of us, myself included, equity to the privileged like me feels like oppression. And in the kingdom of God, scarcity is a myth. Again, it's time to confess and repent of what we have made idols because it's precisely those things that have resulted in our silence, in our own racism, in our own biases, our own fears. And we have to name them After we ask, who are we in the story? We must ask, who is our God? And lastly, we have to ask, where do we go from here? If we truly want to be like Stephen, we must first be like Christ. In Acts chapter 7, it says, while they were stoning Stephen, they prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirits. That's what Stephen prayed. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this, the, this sin against them, those persecuting Stephen. And we had, when he had said this, he fell asleep. Don't miss this. Stephen mirrors the words and actions of Christ right before Jesus himself was killed. Stephen died like Christ. Stephen died for Christ. And you see, Stephen's death uh, contextually uh, was illegal. It was an illegal act of persecution, uh, of capital punishment. But the religious leaders stoned him anyways because they knew that nobody would care, that nobody would listen. You see, Stephen wasn't a significant figure up to this point in the Bible, even in the society. Religious leaders probably considered him a nobody. He was no threat. 
They knew that even if they broke the law by stoning Stephen to death, that nothing would happen to them. There would be no consequences. And again, the question remains, will you listen? Will you listen to the Stevens in your life? Will we confess that we have been covering our ears? Will we decide to listen to our black brothers and sisters? Will we be willing to hear difficult things, even about ourselves? And instead of becoming defensive, will we have the posture to learn, to love? Like Stephen, like Christ himself, this requires an ultimate sense of humility and courage. Stephen spoke out against the powers of the day, the Sanhedrin, the elites, the authority. He spoke out against the status quo. He gave up possibly his friendships because he was part of that same synagogue and he was speaking against his own people. And by the way, part of that church the church of Cilicia, there was a city, the capital city of Cilicia was Tarsus. And who was from Tarsus? A man named Saul, who later became Paul of the New Testament. And the story is asking us, pleading for us to let down our defensiveness, to confess the ways that we have contributed hurts, our brothers and sisters in the black community to confess our silence and non-action because it's no longer acceptable to be not racist, but it's time for us to be anti-racist. Have we been covering our ears? Could we be wrong? Could we listen? Because listening is a starting place for reconciliation. Now I know, and I'll just end with this, and I'll invite the worship team back up as we uh, reflect on these words. <clears throat> I know that the word reconciliation is hurtful sometimes because oftentimes it's used as a trap to continue the oppression. Or it doesn't make sense because to reconcile something is to pretend that something was together in the first place. And I get that, I hear that, and I agree with that. But right now I'm speaking of it the way that Paul speaks of it in 2 Corinthians. How God has reconciled us, me and you, to God and God's self. We've been reconciled to God. And therefore, because of that, we have the ministry of reconciliation ourselves. In other words, since we have been reconciled, we must become reconcilers. I saw this in Rwanda. It was such a beautiful sight to see something that we should all seek to learn from, including myself. And I'm so thankful for that experience. If we want true reconciliation, the reconciliation that Jesus speaks about, we must uncover our ears and be willing to listen. Let's pray. God, thank you. 
that you may have spoken some hard realities to us. You have for me. And instead of getting defensive, instead of being in denial, may we open up our eyes and our ears to hear the hurt and the pain of our black brothers and sisters. And may we seek just to listen, not to move, not to act, not to be the hero, but just to listen. Help us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen.